Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. This is a Monday morning edition. I'm here with Shannon Hughes. Hughes who, uh, with 20 years of experience in corporate marketing and HR strategy, plus a lifetime of proven leadership performance and creative devotion, her work combines skill plus heart into every Alive in Studio sessions. Through this work, she is on a mission to help people live fully, lead consciously, and impact the world with joy and a collective aliveness. Welcome inside the firm, Shannon. How's it going? It's good. Good, good. So good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I saw that you went to the University of Colorado Boulder where I teach. Um, so how did you get from Boulder? I don't, I think you're in California now. I am. Yeah. In the Bay Area. Yeah. So give us a backdrop of, of you know, from college, what you went to college for and then how you got to what you're doing today. For sure. So, um, so my story is a little unique in that I am raising my own family right now in the house that I grew up in, which is kind of kind of wild. So I'm living in the house I grew up in now. So born and raised here in the Bay Area, just north of San Francisco. Uh, and yeah, after, after school, um, after high school, I did a stint working in advertising and marketing before I went to Boulder. And um, I mean, come on, Boulder is sells itself. Um, <laughs> I went there to do some college tours and took one step onto that campus and fell in love with not just Boulder um, as a university, um, and uh, but just just the the scenery and the Colorado living and the outdoor. Um, being such close close proximity to skiing, which I'm a, a huge downhill skier, still love it. Um, and when I was at University of Colorado, I actually went. Uh, my first two years, my my um, major was in theater. So always been a performer. Um, the stage is sort of my happy place, I guess. And uh, so went into school with that as a major and then left with a major in communications, which I realize is sort of the catch-all major. Yeah. Um, but well, so a helpful. business major is the catch-all major. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, after that, I um, kind of meandered my way through a couple of different organizations and ended up at, um, yeah, doing, as you'd mentioned in my intro, I worked with an organization for a number of years, actually, um, which was a, an advertising agency headquartered in New York, global agency. Uh, and we were a recruitment advertising agency, which is a little bit niche. So I like to say that let's take let's take Nike, for example. Nike was one of our clients. And rather than helping Nike promote themselves as a shoe designer or a retailer, we helped Nike promote themselves as an employer of choice. So when they were trying to source for engineers or creative folks or anyone really, um, we as an agency would help design the strategies to do that. So um, I worked in a couple different capacities while I was there and um, made my way to VP of client strategy kind of towards the end. And that's uh, that's where I got my taste for people and culture and a little bit of HR thrown in there for kicks. Gotcha. Um, and then after that, what what made you decide to branch out on your own? So in 2016, 17, um, my kids were small. I've got two kids. 
Um, they're now 14 and 10, but at the time, whatever, I can't do the math on the fly like that, Alex, but no, no they worries. were young. Yep. <laughs> they were young. And um, yeah, I was in this VP role and, you know, and I, I'm sure you can relate to this. I was, you know, many hours, like, I don't know, I was like 50, 60 hour work weeks. And I was taking calls from the sidelines of the soccer games and, um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't working for me anymore, and so I actually tried to resign. Um, I gave my notice, and my boss said, "No, no, no, wait, we'll figure something out," and we did. Um, <laughs> and they changed my role from VP of Client Strategy, which was fine, to uh, client up or uh, what was it called? Uh, uh, basically, like a, a sales revenue manager. So my job went from <laughs> big boardrooms and big sales pitches to um, chasing people for revenue inputs into Salesforce. Um, and it's not that it was a demotion. It was just, it, that's kind of what I needed to do in the agency world in order to have a little bit of a more manageable um, schedule. So I did that until I couldn't do it anymore. My soul was starting to shrivel up. So I, I, I left question for you um maybe just in, in that company or do you find this in other companies either big or small uh yeah. do they not set hard boundaries and i don't mean during the weekdays because i know especially with work from home people might decide to do stuff and then work later but like hey don't call me saturday morning when i'm at a soccer game you know like don't call me on the weekend i'm not going to answer did is that prevalent or is it just some workforces do that what's your yeah. take you know i think it's getting better i think you know i think these last number of years has been such a wake-up call for a number of organizations um in corporate or otherwise where people are kind of leaders are finally looking around and going right right well-being Right, right, right. Boundaries around time and how to be with family and how to be a human and kind of be able to integrate work and life into a way that's copacetic and meaningful. Um, oh, right. Like having purpose and understanding what your core values are and doing work that's in line with that. It's a it's a shift. And some companies, I would say, are gung ho and doing all the right things and really putting their money where their mouth is in terms of that. And others don't. My company, um, great company, no disparaging remarks. I loved that. I loved them for what they were and how they treated me the number of years I was there. But the top-down leadership, man, the, uh, it was a you know big company, and the our um, our president just had a very different way of working. And it's amazing how that can trickle down or trickle outward in terms of. Um, just established in culture, like no matter how far away you are from that messaging and how that person manages people, it's felt throughout the entire organization, no matter how many hundreds of people are there. Yeah, that makes do you, sense. Do you feel that too? Yeah. Yep. Or you, you can resonate with that? No, it, it makes complete sense because um, culture, a lot of people, and, and you probably have a better definition uh, of this, but it, it essentially, if you're not doing it programmatically, if it, if it just naturally occurs, it's the leadership, what their culture is and who they are in combination with who they hire, right? Do they hire? Um, and then that creates, that actually creates the culture right there. Um, but it all stems from the leader because that's who they hire and that's what they, they showcase. So that's the kind of organic way it naturally comes. If you're not actually thinking about it, laying it out and, and, and not saying, Hey, it's, it's only going to be the way I work. 
<laughs> and that's going to yeah. be the whole company. Um, but right. uh, let's transition. So uh, you have a, a scaffolding and you called nine leadership skills to ignite the genius of your people and culture. And I like the number nine because our firm, our architecture firm is F9 Productions. Yes. And we have nine principles that we go by um, yeah. that actually helps also solidify the culture because everyone knows these. Um, we have uh, daily meetings where one person presents each each day on a project with different stuff and they have to say one of the principles that that it relates to. Um, yeah. So this nine is, is working out great for me at least. So what are they and, and can we kind of walk through them and, and actually, uh, what made you come up with these? What's the back? Yeah, you know, I'm sorry. What? I What's the backstory behind it? Yeah. So it's funny. I've been asked that before, and as far as like that inciting moment, I can't. I can't remember the like the moment that it kind of was downloaded to me or whatever. Um, I do know where it came from, and in terms of kind of the the concept that helps shape shape it. Um, so. I I already mentioned that, you know, I have performance in my background. And when I was getting ready to leave my advertising agency and sort of embark into something new, um, made some arrangements with the husband and kind of worked it out to, al to allow myself some time just to, just to figure out what it was, what was next. And I used some of that time to go back to improv classes, creative writing classes, some of the things that are just in my nature and talk about core values. I mean, creativity is a number one for me. So I had to go back to the roots in order to kind of figure out what was next. Um, and I only bring that up because it, it's important in terms of the aliveness scaffolding. When I went back to improv, um, I was there to, you know, re-engage with folks and perform and, and do all the fun things that improv is. And I remembered almost immediately, I started to connect the dots of the principles of improv theater, performative improv and business or the, those same concepts that comprise improv and just kind of being a human. Um, a couple of those concepts from improv are, I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with yes and, um, yep. which is the idea of accepting someone's offer and then building onto it. Um, I've actually picked up uh, <laughs> you and your partner using, you seem like you consciously use and, which is a nice thing to hear on your podcast. Um, and the other other concepts like make your partner look good. I mean, how awesome is that, right? So I started to just kind of connect these dots and go, wait a minute, this is not just about creating something from nothing for an audience. This is about being about life and certainly applies to business. Um, so as I studied it and practiced it, um, I, you know, really grasped and understood what those concepts were and and pulled them into this idea of aliveness. Now the word aliveness and the word enlivened from my company name um, come from a Howard Thurman, are inspired by a Howard Thurman quote. Um, Howard Thurman is an, um, from the early, early 1900s, he's um, an African-American um, philosopher in the United States, um, a prolific writer, um, a mindfulness practitioner, a teacher, um, so has written a number of books um, about all of those things and an activist in his own right. And he has a quote about um, aliveness, which is, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and then go do it. Because mm, nice. what the world needs is people who have come alive. Um, Absolutely. Right, which ties into culture and all the things that I know light you up too. 
So aliveness came from that. That's my long, my long-winded answer, Alex. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. That's what we're here for. Um, so let's dive into those nine uh, leadership principles, traits that that really contribute to that. Sure. So um, al aliveness is an acronym, and it is uh, awareness, listening, interdependence, vulnerability, engagement, non-judgment embrace change start anywhere and say yes okay so that's, that's what comprises the scaffolding look at that okay let's start at number one what was number one again <laughs> yeah i like to i like i kind of like to put one and two together aliveness or sorry um awareness and listening uh because mm -hmm. they they go hand in hand together uh and that's just all about the practice of listening i, I always say listening with intention so listening not to talk, <laughs> but listening to actually hear what someone that you're in conversation with is saying. Um, so awareness, and that requires awareness, awareness of your situation, awareness of, you know, the environment or the context that you're in, awareness of where the person you're communicating with might be in their head, in their head and their heart, uh, and self-awareness, where am I in this situation and how can I really root down and you know, what's going on here from all those places so that I can listen effectively and we can move together in a way that works for everyone and that is aligned to both of our value sets. Yeah. That aligns with um, architecture in the sense of when you start a project, it most likely comes from a client or a professor and they obviously give you a program um, and a site but you really can't start until you are aware of what the site is, aware of all the influences of what is the architecture around it? What's the environment around it? What's the uh, social, economical, historical significance of, of what you're doing? Um, so all taking that in is literally step one in design, even though you might get some other stuff, you don't do anything, you shouldn't do anything before you have that awareness. Right. Right. Yeah. And how the space is going to be used and kind of what the flow of traffic and the needs are of the people who are going to go, going to be in that environment. Yeah, I can. I, I completely hear what you're saying. All it's right. that awareness. Yeah. Um, number three. Yeah. So awareness, listening. Um, I is interdependence, which is, you know, all about, I guess you could say teamwork. Uh and I, I, I notice um, in listening to your podcast and the one that you did with Mark on um, Andre Architect, the two of you talk a lot about family. And I love that. I love that uh, family is so core to how you talk about F9. So if you think about F9 and, and the, the use of family, interdependence ties directly into that kind of same idea. It's as much as we are, you know, applauded and put up on a pedestal for having independence. And we're, we're, that's, it's not possible to, to run a business, to uh, collaborate, to co-create something, to design, to learn, to be educated and to grow by ourselves, despite the fact that here in the U.S., you know, we're such an, we're such an independent, individualistic society. Um, and, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but that's not how that, it's not how it works. And especially when you start building company culture. No, not at all. Um, there's some quote, I'll, I'm going to butcher it, but you can go fast by yourself, but if you want to go far, you need a team. Um, so absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, yep. So that's I, uh, V is vulnerability. 
Um, and I know some people go, old vulnerability. Oh God, she's going to talk about Brene Brown. No, I'm not. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you probably can't find, we probably don't do too well examples of that. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've been doing some reading too about vulner the vulnerability loop, which is kind of a psych psychological term or whatever. Uh, it's the practice of you know if 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 I open myself to vulnerability, then we have rest you inevitably. If I set up a safe environment, a psychologically safe environment, um, there's a good chance that you will lean into my vulnerability with your vulnerability. And I'm not necessarily talking about sitting in a conference room crying and talking about your emotions, but I'm talking with my clients right now about how important it is, especially given the recession and where we are and how the, the, the influx of projects, architecture and design projects are coming and going and how to staff, that leaves your team with a great deal of uncertainty. So it's up to us as leaders to say, whether it's holding a town hall or having a CEO coffee chat or creating environments where we have conversation about the state of the business that is honest and transparent and that requires vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two, it can also be used in, in sales in the sense of um, vulnerability or slash honesty uh, it can make you relatable. Um, so one of the ones that comes up and, and maybe not in sales, but just throughout a process is uh, I'm better at designing than I am writing or spelling. Um, and people can laugh at that because, you know, it, they either saw it or, or whatever, but everyone has something like that. I'm better at this than, than I am at that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. And, and bringing your whole self to the, to the workplace or two. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. E is engagement. I think that probably has a full stop at the end of it. I think, you know, to be an effective leader is to stay engaged. Um, and that has a number of different connotations and can be exercised in many ways. But how do you stay engaged with each other? How do you stay engaged with the work? How do you make sure that you've got your true north of what the vision and mission is of your company so that everybody is always aligned to that? And that takes a lot of connection and engagement. And to do it to, to, to create uh, experiences that are connecting and engaging with intentionality, not just hoping for the best, because people don't always do that on their own, especially if you've got introverts and, you know, people and getting busy and putting their heads down. Yeah. The word that comes to mind when you say that, and maybe this relates to one of your other tenants, but care and care mm -hmm. in the sense of, I heard, uh, um, Mark Zuckerberg say it at on, on Joe Rogan. Um, he was talking about the beginning and how they're making Facebook. And he thought that someone's just going to come make one better, like Microsoft will or Google will. And Joe's like, well, why didn't they do that? You know, why didn't they beat you out or, or, or whatever? And or why didn't you lose to them? And he said, I think we just cared more. And I think that was a, such a profound statement that was only like a sentence or two. And then, and then they moved on. Um, and it has a lot to do with business, I feel, um, uh, is if you care more. Yes. Yeah, I'm just letting that land because as an entrepreneur myself, um, and I know that you guys, you know, you're 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 moving out of startup and into um, you know different phases of your own organization. I'm sure you can relate to this too. But it's um, caring is what keeps you in the work. Caring is what keeps you in the game. 
because as an entrepreneur, I mean, the wind blows and something else comes up, right? So there has to be something that keeps you in focused and in it with tenacity. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Moving on to number six. Yes. Okay. So engagement. Um, number six is non-judgment. Um, and that's important because it's not just non-judgment of other people, it's non-judgment of ourselves. Um, you know, we are we are human, we have uh inner critics. Mine has a bullhorn sometimes, just shouting <laughs> that I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it wrong or I'm supposed to be somehow you just you know different handling things differently or showing up differently. Um so, you know, it's a practice. It's not, it's a lifelong practice to, to be true to who we are, but as a leader, that's our job too, is to, with vulnerability and with intentional li- listening and, and all the other tenants, um, then we can invite people into that non-judgmental environment so that we can create awesome buildings and do really good work in the world. Yep. Uh, one thought that I had, and maybe I stole it from someone else, so who knows, but if if it's ever getting too much, you know, that inner critic, uh, a kind of thought experiment is to think, what if you woke up today and you woke up in this body of who you are and you had to deal with that? So you can put all that past, be like, I don't know, I just woke up. This is where I'm at. This is yeah. what I have to deal with starting now. Um, and it's a good way to kind of clean the plate. And whoever that old guy or lady was that got you here, there's nothing you can do about it. I love that because it is, you're right. It's all that, it's all that story that like, it's all mixed up with the present, the present moment. And it's doesn't serve you all the time. Absolutely. Yep. I love that. All right. Uh, seven. Yes. Um, I had to spell it out in my head, non-judgment. Um, oh, embrace, uh, embrace change. No, embrace non-judgment, embrace change. Yes. Embrace change is you know, it, it's about embracing change, staying agile, setting ourselves up for success so that when things like, I don't know, a global pandemic um, come up, that we have the skill set to be on our feet, ready to pivot, although that word is very overused, but, you know, always kind of ready to see things in a different light. And that takes openness as well. But it's it's um, inviting the unexpected and knowing that you know, if we don't have all the answers, mistakes are okay. Fallibility is normal and it might be an opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah. That's one of the harder things once you get bigger um, is because once you, if you have to embrace change, you have to do it at a larger scale and it just gets harder and harder. But then if you don't, it can lead to collapse when someone smaller comes and just eat your lunch, you know, every little bit of a time until, you know, they ate everything and you have nothing. <laughs> yeah. Great analogy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, any of these, right? When you start to scale, all of these have to be assessed and and build the practice around them for sure. Yeah, we keep um, looking for what the main program um, that we use in architecture is Revit. There's another yeah. one. Um, I'm forgetting the other one that the Mac people uses, but we're, we keep wondering when is it going to change? When is it something new going to you know come on board that we have to totally switch? And it's been going for about 10, 12 years now on this one program, but that's one that we're always trying to not get caught in, you know, like we yeah. only do it one way. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's interesting. I I'm, I'm still kind of um, peeling back the onion and learning about some of the, the, the technology side of the industry. And I'm very, I'm familiar with Revit enough to know what it is and why it's important. Um, but that's an interesting challenge to kind of put in, put your eggs in the basket of one technology when another one may make, make, you know, 
come along and then you got to reframe. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We're on the last two. Eight. Yes. <laughs> so start anywhere and say yes. Those are the last two. Uh, start anywhere. Uh, that's the idea that, you know, we tend to think most, most of the time we think sequentially. First you do A, then you do B, then you do C. And clearly there's value in that. And clearly that's critical, especially in your profession and the professions of the, the folks who are likely listening to this podcast. Um, so I'm not saying that sequential thinking is a bad thing. And sometimes it can come to procrastination or sometimes if we, if we get so hung up on getting A and B and C right before we just dive into the work, we can get to a place where nothing happens. Um, a kind of a trite example is I have to get my I have to get my website absolutely right and all my messaging has to be right on point and if I don't get all that stuff right there's no way I can go out into the marketplace well now weeks have gone by maybe months or years while we're tinkering with our website and this is we're leaving money and projects on the table so it's just a silly example but diving in at those points of access that may not be the beginning yeah, I like that. I think that's great advice too. Um, one practical example of that, because I know that can be true, especially with a website. If if that is holding you back, you should almost make um, a dummy or a very simple, you know, like two section, three section website. Here's our name. Here's what we do. Here's our contact. While you take the next three months to build out the rest. And exactly. then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then say yes. Yeah. Say yes. Um, that really comes from improv almost explicitly, this idea of yes and. I would I personally would never have gotten to where I am um, in within live in studios and doing the work that I do had I not said yes when those doors were ajar and I just kind of went, what's behind door number two? What's behind door number three? And I didn't always walk all the way through the door. Sometimes I just stand at the precipice and kind of gaze in. But you have to, there's an element of curiosity that has to be part of, you know lighting up your your uh, your own becoming because that's how you're going to grow as a leader is to get curious and ask good questions and at least say yes enough to kind of get you through to to maybe read a little bit more or explore a little bit more or you know go down pathways that you hadn't originally considered so it's just kind of having a yes mindset versus a a, a yeah but or a no mindset yep um awesome i appreciate that that was great uh, a two-part question. What kind of, maybe even three parts. Let's see how many parts I can wrap into one question. Okay. What kind of firms do you help? What do you help them with? And um, yeah, let's just start there. Those two. Yeah. What kind of firms do you help and what do you help them with? So right now I'm really focused on kind of small to medium-sized firms, which I recognize, you know, means different things to different folks, but it's kind of in that like 10 to 50 or 20, like, like 10, 10 to 50 um, range of firm. So the, the firms that are sort of going, okay, here we go. We're, 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 you know, maybe we've just come out of startup and we're looking around and we actually made a name for ourselves. Um, our services are marketable. We've got, we've got the attention of folks in our community or, or, or even outside of our community. Um, and, how do we now look around, notice that we've got people who are valuable and critical in doing that work and making sure it's successful. How do we keep them, right? Retention is huge right now. How do we keep them? How do we make sure that they stay 
well um, in terms of wellness is what I mean um, and engaged um, and you know continue to have that that resonance in terms of um, values alignment and, and interdependence so that they can do great work. So I'd say like well I don't know Alex what do you consider to be a small to like what what in your world is small versus medium-sized firm? Um, well, I think architecture is a little bit different. Um, yeah, okay. and I, I'm sure every industry is a little bit different. Meaning, a small a small car company is probably five thousand people, right? Right. That doesn't mean so. So, uh, architecture just because there is a, a larger percentage of uh, more one person, two person shops. Small is anywhere from like one to ten, maybe or twelve, right? Okay. Something like that. Um, medium in it kind of overlaps is let's just say eight to, to 30. Um, and then I would say larger is probably, you know, 30 and above. Um, but I, I just talked to a firm that was 50 and they said that they're a medium sized firm. Um, so, uh, but in, in those general, general ballparks. Yeah. Got it. Because there's not an Amazon. There is an Amazon of, uh, architecture and I'm forgetting their name, uh, Gensler. But Amazon has what a million employees, and Gensler maybe has three thousand, maybe. Yeah. Like I'm making this up, but like it's not even close. Right. Right. Got it. Thank you. That's super helpful. Yeah. So so then in that context, yeah, it's kind of that that medium sized firm that's that's um could could be growing. Like scaling is 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 part of the the longer term plan, but maybe it does not maybe not imminent imminent given where we are with our. Um, with the market and the economy right now. Um, and the types of work that I'm doing, I'm I'm really finding a need to, uh, the, it seems that there is a need, at least with those that I'm working with and those that I've been speaking with, where when there is that, that interest in taking care of folks within the culture and or growing to support the business and projects that are coming in, how do we, um, how do we, foster a sense of belonging in this organization through a value, through establishing values and building culture around those values. Now, through writing, writing values and putting them up on a website is one thing. What I do is I work with my clients to um, establish those values and then really get clear about what they mean and what behaviors, what routines, what rituals, how do we conduct our meetings? How do we, uh, throughout the different components of the employee life cycle, what are all the different ways that we can embed those values into how we run our culture here? So I'm doing some work right now um, for a firm on the East Coast, and we're doing just that. The phase phase one was really going in and figuring out what those shared values are and yeah. writing up the company values. Is this an architecture firm or uh, yes. a different? Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So this is an architecture firm in the East Coast. And um yeah, the first phase was really identifying those values, defining them, and then establishing the behaviors that really uphold each of those values. Phase two was writing out the culture roadmap or culture blueprint and playing around with the name of it. But how do you start to embed those values through everything from recruiting to development to retention? Sorry, recruiting, onboarding, development, retention, and offboarding. So I can kind of consider those the different phases of the employee life cycle. So how do those values show up in your 
interviews? How do those values show up in um, how you promote yourself to the market, maybe even through your job descriptions? Um, what is the review process look like? And how do we track and measure performance with values top of mind? Uh, what does our training and development programming look like? Um, what, what about our incentive program? How do we incentivize people based on our values and living our values? So that's sort of the work I'm doing with those guys. And then there's kind of an offshoot of training and a number of other efforts that are going to happen over the longer term to uphold that work. Gotcha. Um, are clients coming to you kind of specifically for this need or are you seeing this need and this is meaning uh, the other way is, hey, architecture firm calls, how can I help you? Oh, there's different areas we could go into. Um, and this is just an example of one. Does that make sense? In the yeah. Question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, a couple different ways. Sometimes it's it's the architecture firm calls and it's it starts with team building, right? Well, it starts with kind of a, oh, let's see, maybe like a half day workshop. We already have our values. They're already set, you know. Um, we're, we're good to go with that. And we really, have, we have a pretty good understanding of our culture. This is just an opportunity for us to get together and have a really connective and engaging experience around our values and culture to root down in that. But it's much more of a team building exercise. Is this where yeah. your improv skills come to play? Yes. Awesome. Yes. yes. My, my facilitation uh, style is unique. <laughs> yeah. Are, are firms doing this? I'm just curious. Is this normally like a, a holiday thing, either uh, Christmas or uh, 4th of July, or is it, do they have, is it random? Yeah. Um, it's usually aligned to kind of a, a hot, like right now I'm having conversations about an, an end of the year wrap up, right? So it's like a look back and a look forward and an opportunity to celebrate. So kind of an end of the year celebration and an opportunity to set ourselves up for success for the new year. Um, it's interesting because that's kind of the tendency with the folks that I'm talking to in the profession is to go for those kind of lower, quote unquote, lower hanging fruit, because it seems obvious, right? It's, it's the end of the year. That's a perfect time to do something like that. And I'm trying to have conversations to say, this could be happening quarterly, right? This is an opportunity for us to, it doesn't necessarily need to be aligned to a holiday, although that's nice. But if we really want this to be in the fabric of how your how your firm is going to run and how you're going to continually show up for your employees so that they understand that this is how this is this is how you are. This is, you know, something that we do with consistency and leadership promotes it and the resources are there. Um, that just has a really big impact, especially when it comes to loyalty and retention. Well, I would say, too, someone could be listening to this conversation in uh, April. And they could say, that's a great idea for the end of the year. But if we listen to your principles and ours, which are one, start anywhere, that's number eight. And then ours is shorten your feedback loop, is that it is actually better to start right when you hear this and get that ingrained into your system and culture than to wait until the proper time. Thank you. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Well, um, on that note, how can people get a hold of you, right? Is there any other message you want to leave people with? And then how can people get a hold of you if they want to? Thank you. Um, any other message? Let's see. Um, 
No, I mean, right now, it's funny that you had just asked me that question, because right now I am having conversations. I mean, it's um, tomorrow's November 1st. I'm not sure when this will air, but I am doing some really highly engaging, interactive, gasp, fun, and joyful um, gatherings where people are getting together and talking about next year. So that that is a thing. Um, and I am doing I am doing those right now. So that's an opportunity to to talk and explore. Um, and uh, and I'm just really loving working with architects. This is so this is fairly new for me being in this supporting this profession. And as I said, you know, the the more conversations I have like this, the more I'm falling in love with supporting this um, this industry and this group of folks. So, um, you know, any any and all outreach is, is very welcome. I'm all over LinkedIn. I'm at Shannon Dean Hughes. Maybe we can throw a link in the show notes or something, but that's my that's my page name, Shannon Dean Hughes. And my website is enlivenedstudios.com. Well, perfect. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on this episode of Inside the Firm. Great. Thanks so much. 